you know, the more I'm in church, the more a privilege I find it. You know, I find it a privilege to be able to stand and worship before God and to be led so fantastically by gifted people. You know, I find it a privilege to hear the testimony of people who've done what the Bible said and they've gone. And they've gone out on mission and they're living it out. And I find that a privilege. You know, and I think it's been a privilege just to see the transformation that this emphasis on prayer, I believe, is having in, in the church and in our lives. You know, this morning, the prayer meeting was fantastic. You know? And actually, when we give time to prayer and we give time to worship and we give time to mission, you know, amazing things happen. Because they're what God's called us to. You know, God, I believe he's doing an amazing thing. And I believe he is reviving our hearts and reviving our prayer lives. And we're going to see growth and we're going to see amazing things. And, you know, it's so important getting that prayer and worship and that mission heart right. Because it's part of a stance. It's part of, you choose, don't you? You do choose to, of how you're going to give yourself to prayer. You choose how you're going to give yourself in worship. You choose to go on mission. It's always a choice. It's a behaviour you particularly choose. And that's so vital and so important. Uh, can you just pop my first uh, scripture up, please? Um, it's a scripture from Deuteronomy, and it's Deuteronomy 8, chapter 1. It says here, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on earth to your ancestors. You see, there's an important principle here. It tells us to, be fo- to follow commands. You know, and actually, position is going to precede possession. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Where you position yourself prior is going to determine the possession that you move into. Yeah. You know, and that's what we've been doing as a church. We've been spending time investing in prayer. And we've always invested in worship, you know, and it's about getting our stance right. It's about choosing the behaviour which is going to proceed as being able to move into possession of the land, of the territory that God has destined for us. And, you know, we, we've entitled the last series was called This Is War, you know. Well, most wars are about two things often, not always, but often they're about territory and they're about sovereignty. You know, and our war's no different. You know, it's about the sovereign God declaring that this land is yours. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to extend your territory. Now go and move into it. You know, it's still about sovereignty and it's still about territory. And, but what I, and prayer, I think, has been the vehicle that we've been looking at and how that's moving us and how that's a stance we can take that's going to move us into that territory. What I want to think a little bit about today is linking that prayer to the idea of what is the land that we're to move into? What is the land that we're to move into? So in Deuteronomy, again, we're just going to flip forward to um, chapter 10. Uh, No, sorry, chapter 11, verse 10 to 11 here. And it tells us, The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. So we have two pictures here. We have a picture of Egypt, which was a land that required irrigation and a, and a, a land of mountains and valleys that drinks the very rain from heaven. 
Can you just pop up this picture? This is a satellite photograph of um, Egypt and Israel. So it's taken from a satellite, and you can see that the majority of this area is really quite dry and sandy and arid, and it's quite barren. There's not much there. But you can see here you've got the Nile Delta at the top, and then you've got the River Nile. And you can see this just strip of green that follows the Nile. Because Egypt in itself is not meant to be a, is not a fertile land. It's a dry land. Not much is meant to be grow there. It's not a productive place. Yet they could make it productive by lifting water out the Nile and watering the land next to the Nile. But it was something to be done on foot. It was a hard task. We'll lift the waters out and we'll carry them and water the ground. Yet Moses is saying, that's not the land you were destined for. You weren't destined for the tough land that you would have to drag the water by hand. You're destined for a land of mountains and valleys that drinks the rain of heaven. An entirely natural fertility and growth that will come from the wellsprings of heaven. And we see just up to the top right, this area, it's, it's, it was green when I put it on. But anyway, it looks more grey now, but trust me, it was green. Up here, Israel was the only other bit of green on the map. But this was not one that was to be irrigated by hand, a man-made watering. It was one that was to be watered from heaven. And this is the land that they were told you can move into. You know, mountains and valleys that drink rain from heaven are the land that we're called to live in. And I just want to focus for a little bit on the mountains where we're called to live and the valleys where we're called to live. And a little bit of space in between too. Now, I love mountains and valleys. I think they're beautiful and they're stunning and I'm a geography teacher, so you sort of have to. But they are a place of beauty, you know? And there's beauty in both. And that's a good job because we're called to live in both. You know, you will be called to live in the mountains and have mountaintop experiences with God. But I also want to tell you, you are going to have times in valleys too. And you've got to be prepared for both because God's in them both. You know, just flick another picture, the next picture up, please, um, Elizabeth. This is, um, you can't see with the light, that's Owen and Lana, they'll be pleased. Uh, we went to Switzerland a couple of years ago, and we caught a cable car up to the mountaintops. And it was stunning. You know, and we got in this cable car and we headed up. Now, at the bottom of the cable car, we'd seen this uh, thing that looked a really good idea. Um, so it told you that you could get the cable car up to the top and you could hire what they called scooter bikes, or trot bikes in German, which I think sounds cooler. Um, and it was like a big scooter, uh, like the little ones the kids have that they pull up and down the street on. But they were big wheels, and they had big handlebars, and they had brakes. And we said, oh, that looks a good idea. So you get a cable car up the, cable car up the mountain, and you can like scoot down the mountain. So we, um, so we got the um, cable car up, and we spent some time at the, at the mountain top. And it was awesome. We didn't stay there long because actually when we got to the mountaintop, there wasn't a whole amount there. There was amazing views and it was stunning and we ate our sandwiches and we had a drink and then and we had a little walk around. But there wasn't too much going on. But it was an amazing place to be and I'm pleased we took the time to get there. But then we got our scooters and this is the next picture. 
There we go. Action shot. So we got, on, we got these scooters, picked them up at the cable car station, and we, um, we hired them out. And as I say, it seemed a really good idea when we started at the bottom. And now we're on the mountain, uh, and it still seemed a really good idea. We saw all the bikes lined up, and, and then they gave me a piece of paper to sign. And of course, uh, on the piece of paper, I had to sign to say, right, well, one, uh, you had to sign to, to say you wouldn't exceed the speed limit. Uh, and I thought, well, what's the speed limit? And the speed limit was like uh, 40 miles an hour. And I thought, how am I going to exceed the speed limit? It's a scooter. And I thought, well, you must be able to exceed the speed limit. <laughs> you can exceed the speed limit! You know, there was a revelation. Actually, what had seemed a good idea was quite a challenge. And, and the next bit I had to sign was that, like, you know, if you break limbs, you will not sue us. So I can go over 40 miles an hour, I can break my limbs. And, and I've just signed my children up for this, brilliant. Um, but you know, this, this scooter, it, it took us down and Lana was terrified, bless her. Um, because she really struggled um, with the handlebars, the brakes were so far out that she couldn't quite get her hands over the brakes. Yeah, good parenting. Uh, you'll be right. Um, so... You know, we, we set off with much trepidation because the mountaintop had been stunning, but we knew we had to get back to the valley. And getting down there, it seemed like it was going to be fine and straightforward, but then actually it was starting to look like it was going to be quite a scary experience. But we were relatively pleased that, you know, we, we thought we could do it, but there was real trepidation and we learned quite a lot on the way. We learned at what speed it was suitable to go. At what speed the scooter started to wobble, Owen learned that the scooter can't be going and you can just step off it and you'll stop. Because when you're travelling at 20 miles an hour, actually from 20 miles an hour to zero, it uh, means splat. Um, which he learned that lesson on one corner. Um, you know, we learned some painful things along the way. But then we did eventually reach the valley. Uh, can I have the next picture? And you know... The trepidation had gone. We'd negotiated a journey and we'd gone from the mountaintop to the valley. And you know, we were so happy in the valley because we were alive. But what we realised was that the valley was just as beautiful as the mountaintop. In fact, it was very easy to look up. And you know, sometimes without the valley, you won't, you won't appreciate the beauty of the mountaintop. You know, and there was beauty in them both. And we're called to live in them both. In your Christian journey, you're going to have some mountaintop experiences, but you're also going to have some valley times as well. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is to think about where are you at this morning or this, this week or this year? Are you in the mountain or are you in the valley? You know, where are you at? But not just that, what does that mean for you? Okay, what does that mean for you? And what I want to start by doing is I just want to dispel three myths if that's all right. Right, the first myth. Mountains and valleys are two completely different locations. That's wrong. And I'll explain that in a minute. In the physical, they are. Of course, they are. But in the spiritual, they're not. Bear with me and I'll come back, because that might sound strange for a moment. Myth two. Mountain tops are always awesome and epic, and valleys are always hard and miserable. That's a lie. 
and the third myth. God's more in one place than the other. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Is a lie. Yeah. You know, and I want to dispel the three myths with one picture. Okay? Can you stick the next little diagram up for me? To the left, you've got the mountains. To the bottom, you've got the sea. And this is what, in my classroom, we call the long profile of a river. This is the journey a river is meant to take. You see, because there's a source, there's a mountain top where things are birthed. And then there's a journey down to a place where there's an outpouring. Do you know? And the source is where it starts, but the mouth is where it ends. You see, because the, mount, the, the mountaintop and the valley are two different places. They're all part of the same continuum. Yep. They're all part of the same journey. What is birthed in the mountain needs to flow out somewhere. And often it'll flow out in the valley. Okay? So that's the first thing, that second myth. You know, mountaintops are epic and valleys are always miserable. You know? If, it, if the valley, the mouth, is where things are meant to be poured out, how can it be miserable? How can the outpouring of what God birthed in the mountains be a miserable, hard place to be? Yeah. And the third myth, God's more in one than the other. Well, I don't know about you, but the thing I see joining the source, the mountains to the valley, is a river. And I see the river in the mountains, and I see the river in the valley. Do you know what? The river's bigger than the valley. Think on it. You know, Jesus preached on the mountain. Often Jesus went up to a mountainside to preach. See him on the Mount of Olives, preaching in Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes. Do they then stay on the mountain? Do the disciples stay on the mountain? I'll teach you, now stay. No, they go. And where do they go? They go into the town. They go down from the mountain to outpour that that they received on the mountainside. All right? So we're called to mountains. We're going to be called to valleys. And what I don't want you to do, and sometimes I think we can end up, we can associate the valley's going to be hard and miserable. So I don't want to be in the valley. I want a mountaintop experience with God. And I think we can live the wrong way around. We can be so intent and so desiring the mountaintop amazing experience with God, which is fabulous and there's a time and a place for it that we despise the valley. And I just want to put to you this morning, don't despise the valley because God's called you to live at both. Because they're not separate locations. They're part of the same continuum of life and they're connected by a river of life. Okay? So, first place, we're called to the mountains. Yeah, And there are times where you're going to have mountaintop experiences with God. And that's fantastic and that's fabulous. Um, but the mountain is not somewhere you're called to stay. If you look at the next scripture here, Deuteronomy 1 verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Mountaintop moments are meant to be time limited. Now, that time might vary. It might be a fraction of a moment. It might be a long period of time. But they are time limited. You are not called to stay at the mountain. Why? It's because the mountain has a specific purpose. And let me just highlight some of the purposes the mountain has for you. And I want you to have mountaintop times. And don't also think this is something that part of the year I'll be there then and part I'm going to be down here. These can be mountaintop and valley experiences can be within minutes of one another. 
Who knows? You can meet with God and then be being challenged straight away to see the outworking of what you've just had poured out into your heart. Yeah? That can happen within minutes. You know? But why do we need mountaintop experiences? And let's go back. Prayer is what's going to place you there. Prayer is what's going to put you on the mountaintop to experience God. But first thing, the mountaintop is the place of connection. And the mountaintop is the place of intimacy. This scripture here, uh, Micah uh, 4 verse 2. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. You see, they recognise that there's a place of connection to go to, and that's the mountain of the Lord. So mountaintop experiences are a place of connection. Why are they a place of connection? Because they're, a place of instru- they're also a place of instruction. You need to connect with God at the mountaintop. You need that place of intimacy at the mountaintop because that's where you're going to receive instruction from God because they want to learn his ways that they may walk in them. Okay? Now, um, we see this throughout the Bible. If we just use Moses as an example, in Exodus 3, where is he? When he encounters the burning bush, he's at Mount Sinai. You see, the mountaintop is the place of instruction. But he's not to stay at the place of instruction. The order is now go to Egypt and set my people free. And then he returns to the same mountain later on. And he receives the Ten Commandments. So we've had the first one at the burning bush. Sometimes the instruction we receive at the mountaintop is, and this is for some of you this morning, at the mountaintop, you receive the instruction to go and reclaim something. So some of you need to go to the mountaintop because God needs to instruct you. This is yours to go and reclaim for me. The second thing, when he goes back in Exodus 19 for the Ten Commandments, sometimes the instructions are instructions of how we are to live. You know, we see the mountaintop as a place of instruction, but it's in a place of instruction of how to live. If you look, Matthew, let's go back, Matthew 5, Jesus on the Mount of Olives. What do we see? We have the Beatitudes. And all the teaching that Jesus gives us is basically live this way. So they play the Mount of uh, instruction, if you want, instructions of how to reclaim, instructions of how to live. Exodus 26, he receives, Moses receives instructions of how to build the tabernacle. But actually, the words God uses are, you know, how he can reconstruct the heavenly plan on earth. We need instruction of, this is what is in heaven. Now go and make that so on earth. Exodus 32, the Israelites have got it wrong. They've worshipped the golden calf. They've distanced themselves from God. And what does Moses do? He comes down, he sees them, he gets angry. And then he says, I'm going to go back up the mountain now. Why does he need to go back up the mountain? Because they've got it wrong and he needs to go back to the place of intimacy. He needs to go back to the place of instruction. Why? Because the mountaintop is also a place of appeal. He says, I'm going to go back to the mountaintop and I'm going to make sure that I appeal for you. And from that appeal, we get restitution. And maybe this morning, some of those things are things you need. Maybe you need restitution and instruction on to go back to the mountaintop of appeal to know how you can be restored. Maybe you need to go there so God can send you and say, this is what I want you to go and claim for me.
Maybe you need instructions of how to live. Maybe you need instructions of what the blueprint of heaven is for you now that you can build on earth. But all these things, notice, they are all things that were to be taken from the mountain. The mountain is not a place to stay. You know? And as I say, we can sometimes get hung up on wanting a mountaintop experience. And that's fabulous. And yes, you should have them. But don't dwell too long. Because there's something you call to live out. Okay? Now, it's all right to go back. The mountaintop's always there. You know, please go back. You know, Moses went back, didn't he? We saw him there with the burning bush. We saw him there with the Ten Commandments. We saw him there with the instructions for the tabernacle. We saw him there with the uh, going back to appeal. It's a place to retain too. When Elijah has got it a bit wrong, you know, he's just defeated the prophets on, the, on Mount Carmel and God's rained down fire and uh, he's been completely vindicated. Jezebel threatens him. And he runs away. From this place of amazing victory, Elijah runs and he ends up in the desert. But eventually, where does he end up? He ends up at the very same mountain Moses met God. The very same place, the very same mountain of connection where he is re-envisioned, where he is re-instructed and where he can go back out from. And maybe that's the mountaintop you feel you need to return to. The one where you can be re-envisioned, where you can be re-instructed, where you can be sent back out from. So the mountaintops are important, but they have a time and a place. Because they're a place where you're meant to come from, to receive instruction. But maybe you do need a mountaintop time. And over these next few weeks, what I'm going to say to you is, if that's the case, maybe the mountain's somewhere you need to climb to. Maybe the mountain is somewhere you need to climb back to. But I also want to throw out there, maybe the mountain's somewhere you need to move from. It's the place of intimacy, but it's not necessarily where you're meant to stay. Okay? Cheery. <laughs> but let's go back to our starting point. That scripture in Deuteronomy told us that God was going to move us into a land of mountains and valleys yeah. that both drink rain from heaven. Okay? Now, the part of the same profile, all right? So you're meant to spend time in them both. This next scripture here highlights that. Uh, scripture from 1 Kings tells us, The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says, Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys. I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am Lord. They're God's enemies saying, You're a God of the hills but not of the valley. And God says, they're wrong. And I want to tell you this morning, if you've got that mindset that sometimes the valley is a bad, dry, hard place that I don't want to be in, I want to be in the mountain, you need to know this morning, God's a God of the valley as well as a God of the mountain. And he's a God of both because you're meant to be in both. Why? Why do we need to be in the valley? Because, I don't, I'm sorry, God, the valley is where people live. The valley is where people live. Very few people live on mountainsides. The air's too thin. It's too cold. Not much grows. It's difficult to build on stuff like that. 
People live in the valley. Something like 80% of the world's population lives about 50 kilometers from the sea. The people that God has called us to reach live in the valley. So we can't stand on the mountaintops with our bless me parties when God's called us to go to these people. You know, we need to go to the valley because that's where people are. So whether that's Jesus preaching on Mount, the Mount of Olives and then saying, now go. Or whether that's Moses meeting God on Mount Sinai and saying, now go. We're called to go into the valley. So in terms of the valleys, if we've got to be there, fine. What valleys might we be in? So I suppose the first valley uh, is this one that we tend to associate. And this is why sometimes we get our heads round um, valleys and we see them as dry and hard. And I don't want to say they're not because sometimes they are. And I know sometimes they are, but that doesn't, still doesn't mean we shouldn't be there. You know, one of the valleys is this one, uh, this um, version as it is through the darkest valley. You probably know it more as the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 is often used, isn't it? When we, we speak of loss, maybe you're in the valley of loss. That might be the loss of a person which is where we often come across this scripture. But that might be the loss of anything that was dear to you. If you're in the valley of loss, sometimes you're meant to be in the valley of loss. Things will be lost. People will be lost to us. Why do we need to dwell in the valley? Because everybody's going to be there at some point. If we are called to live out amongst the world and show Jesus and show God and be God's love to other people, the time they most need it is when they're in loss. Yeah. When they're in that valley. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I can stand better with people when I've experienced something that I know they're now going through. You know? It's no surprise, is it? It's not, Jesus lived on earth as a man for 30 years. Why? He ultimately came to save us, but he, he, he could have appeared, couldn't he, as a star man at the age 30 and, and still done that. But he lived as a man in a family with friends. Why? To experience life as we would experience life, that he can intercede better for us with his father. Well, guys, we're in the same place. People will experience loss. And if we're going to be able to carry them through that, support them through that, speak wisdom into them, then sometimes we're going to have to be in that valley of loss too. But no, it tells us the valley of loss is also a place where God will get hold of you. And God will lead you to a river. He will lead you beside quiet waters. And he will lay you down and he will restore your soul. And if you're in the valley of loss, know that part of that is about understanding what loss means. And it can be hard and it will be dry, but it is a place where God is too. And don't let the devil tell you a lie that God has abandoned you when you're in the place of loss. Because God's there and he says, I will lead you to peace. Notice where? By the rivers. Where have they flow, flown out from? the source, the mountaintop. Okay? Second valley. Some valleys are a bit dry. 
Yeah? Have you ever been in a dry valley? Now, the very word dry suggests if it's now a dry valley, we know valleys are where rivers flow. A river makes the valley. That's why the valley's there. So a dry valley was a place where water once was, yet now is no longer. And for some of you, you will feel like that's the valley that you're in. It's a valley, I think, of disappointment. There was once life and now it's gone. A valley of disappointment. Yet, if we speak of a dry valley, I'm going to speak to you just for a minute about the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. Yeah, I think that's probably the one that springs to mind, like the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of dry bones. Yeah, in Ezekiel, we've got uh, the Babylonians have laid waste to the land. And then in verse 36, just uh, chapter 36, sorry, before chapter 37, where we get the dry bones, there's the wonderful heading that says this. It says, a prophecy to the mountains of Israel. Proceeds the chapter on the valley of dry bones. And I just thought, that was amazing. So God speaks to the mountains. And then we see things change in the valley of dry bones. You know, the mountain top is where instruction is given. But the valley is where things change. So if you're in the dry valley, what we see is the dry bones join together. Flesh comes on the bones and life is breathed into them. And if you're in the valley of disappointment, where things are dry, where things once were wet and where things once were life flowed, know that the God heralds in the mountains hope. And the voice of hope in the mountains is going to bring life in the valley of disappointment. And that doesn't mean you are not meant to be in that valley of disappointment. But it just means God's going to provide in it. And what's poured out in the mountains is going to flow down that can be poured out in the valley. Where there's hope, there's always life. And there's other valleys. It's no surprise that every battle, pretty much, is fought in a valley. Just go through, whether it's David, whether it's Gideon, whether it's Moses, whether it's Joshua. The battles are fought in the valley. But when God enables them, the valley's a place of victory too. So if you're in the valley, it's a place you're going to be meant to be at times. But know that it's a place where God pours victory into your life. We see the outpouring of God's goodness. And the valley is also a valley of abundance. Is it the next scripture, please, Elizabeth, there? You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless it with crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness will overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. And the valleys are mantled with grain. They will shout for joy and sing. The valley is where we see the outpouring of the goodness of God. 
that was birthed in those mountaintop experiences. But let's not exile ourselves to the mountains and deny God the opportunity to work out amazing things for you in the valleys that we're called to spend time in. Because all those things that we can do in the valley, where we find relief in difficulty, where we find new life and hope and power, where we see victory, where we see abundance, it's important those things happen in the valley because the rest of the world who don't know Jesus are in the valley with you. And when they see your victory, when they see your relief, when they see your resurgent life, they know God. And they know God's real. Mm. And they know God can change their lives too. Can we just stand as we come to a close? You see, the mountain and the valley are of one place because they're all God's territory and they're all of what God has for you. And he wants you to experience the reign of heaven, be that in the mountains or the valleys. And if you need a mountaintop moment because you need instruction from God, just now, just close your eyes and just come to God and say, God, I need you. I need your instruction. I need to know your will for my life. Show me the the heavenly plan. Show me what I'm to reclaim. Give me instructions of how to build and how to live. But if you're in the valley, be that the valley of loss or the valley of disappointment, or you're praying for the valley of abundance, or you're in the valley of the battle, know that those valleys drink the rain of heaven too. Because remember, the thing that connects the mountain to the valley is the river. And rivers run through Scripture. John 7.38 talks of streams of living water. They flow from you. Psalm 46 talks of a river of God flowing from Jerusalem, bringing life. Ezekiel 47 talks of a river flowing from a temple where life abounds and it brings healing and cleanliness where it flows out into. It flows into the sea, the dead body of water, and it brings life to the sea. And Revelations 22 talks of the river of life flowing from the throne. And on the sides of the river is the tree of life with healing in its leaves. Just get in the river. If you need to find the mountaintop again, all you do is find the river and then follow it up. And it'll take you out the valley, back up to the mountaintop. And I tell you, from the mountaintop, you'll change your perspective. Very literally. If you're at the mountaintop, but it's time for the outworking of God in your life, find the river, follow it downstream. Rivers shape the landscape, very literally. They broaden it, they deepen it. Let the river of God shape your life.